Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. I love these words from the Apostle Paul, but it's easier said than done, isn't it? When a child wanders from the Lord, when we, you know, lose a job or maybe when a loved one gets seriously ill, often our first reaction is to let worry just overwhelm us and consume our thinking. I know it does for me. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you to Through the Bible. Today, Dr. J. Vernon McGee takes us deeper into Philippians chapter 4 and helps us to understand how prayer can transform our lives and then replace our worries with God's peace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for caring about all of our worries and fears. Help us to set every burden that we carry today at your feet and then give us the peace that only you can provide, a peace that passes our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's our study of Philippians 4 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now we're back today here in the fourth chapter of Philippians at verse 6. And we are seeing here that power is needed for Christian living. And this is a chapter about power for Christian living. We saw the source of power in the first four verses of this chapter. That was joy. Joy. That's the steam. That puts steam in your boiler. That's the thing that drives the machinery and gets us moving for God. Now, prayer is the secret of power. Prayer. And I very frankly believe more people are being won today by prayer than any other method. I believe prayer evangelism is still the greatest method of prayer. And I feel that today we ought to call attention to that more because so many people feel like that they've got to be busy as termites if they're serving God. May I say to you, everything we do for God today should be done by prayer. Now, we made a strange statement last time. We said, first of all, that we were to worry about nothing but to pray about everything. And that's a command from the Lord. And I find out that I must say I willing to testify that I take my burdens to the Lord in prayer. And that sounds very pious, doesn't it? But I have to add, after I spread them out before him, then when I finish praying, I pick them right back up and put them back on my shoulder and start out with a burden again. That's my problem. I don't know what your problem is, but this is a command that our Lord has given to us. He said, I want you to trust me. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Isn't that wonderful? I wish I could say to you that I'm as free as the birds in the trees, free as the bees that are gathering honey. And that's the way he wants us to be. He says, why, the birds don't worry about where they're going to eat. And that flower that's so beautiful doesn't spend any time worrying about being beautiful. <laughs> it just is. doesn't even go to beauty parlor. May I say to you, I wish that I could say to you, I'm living like that, and I want to live like that. I was sitting on my patio the other day in a mockingbird, and that is the most interesting mockingbird that's there. He gets my fruit, but I feel like it. I ought to pay him something for the song he sings to me at night. During the night, while he sings, now he's not really singing to me. I don't think he cares much whether I hear or not, but he's got a mate over there in a nest on some eggs. And I'll be very frank with you, I think it's a pretty boring job sit around on a bunch of eggs. And so this male mockingbird, 
He sings to his wife all during the night. The other morning I waked up around 2 o'clock. My, how he was singing to her. I thought, my, isn't that lovely? How many of you men get up 2 o'clock in the morning and sing to your wife? I tell you, some of us would be in trouble if we did get up that time of morning and started singing. But this mockingbird, I noticed him out in the backyard with disdain. Why, he looked down at me, flew right over to an apricot tree, started eating apricots. Never asked me anything about it. Free? My, how free he is. And I thought, oh, my, that mockingbird hadn't worried a bit about getting something to eat. He knew those apricots would be there for him, and he'd be able to eat them. May I say to you, friends, do we really trust God? Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Now, Paul never lets prayer become a leap in the dark. It rests on a foundation. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, he says. God puts faith on a foundation. Now, what about this matter of prayer, then? How do you know God's going to hear and answer? Well, he says, do it with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Now, he says here, when you go to God and you make a request of him, you ask God to do something for you. Thank him. And Paul says, thank him right there and then. And I know some commentators, they say, now, what Paul meant was that after you get the answer to your prayer, then you're to go back and thank him. Don't forget to go back and thank him. Well, that's all right, but that's not what Paul said. Paul said, and Paul had a way of being able to express himself, and he had the most versatile language that I suppose there's ever been in the world, the Greek language. And Paul was always able to say what he wanted to say. And what he says here is that when you make your requests right there and then that you thank God for hearing and answering your prayer. Now, somebody's going to say, but maybe God won't answer prayer. And I hear people say today, I have unanswered prayers. Now, Christian friend, I do not believe that you have unanswered prayers. And I think that you ought to be ashamed of yourself for saying that you have a heavenly Father that won't hear and answer your prayers. Somebody says, but I prayed for a certain thing, didn't get it. Well, that's probably true. But you got an answer to your prayer. God will hear and answer your prayer. Always. God will hear and answer your prayer. Now, let me illustrate that again with a very homely illustration. The very interesting thing is that I had a dad that was a good dad. Not a Christian, but he was a good dad. And I never made a request to my dad that he didn't hear it and he didn't give me an answer. He always gave me an answer. I don't care what he was doing. I remember he ran a cotton gin. That machinery would all be running. I'd go in as a little felon. I'd go up to him. I said, Dad, want a nickel for candy. <laughs> He'd reach down in his pocket. Right there, don't care what he was doing. Give me a nickel. I go get candy. Always. Then sometimes I'd ask him for something. I remember one time I asked him for a bicycle. He told me we couldn't afford it. Couldn't buy it. But he answered. He said no. Now I want to say this that the answer my dad gave to most of my requests was no. But he answered. And when my dad said no, it was more positive. And when he said yes, because when my dad said no, we didn't have any further argument about it. I frankly do not understand some of these young folk today. 
that continue to argue with their parents after they've handed down a decision. I didn't know about that. And as a boy, when I said to my dad, may I have this? He'd say, no. And that was it. And friends, that's an answer. And God has a lot of spoiled children today, and he says no to them, and they run around pouting and say, I have unanswered prayers. You don't have unanswered prayers. God always hears and answers your prayer. And as we said the other day, how are you going to sort out big things and little things? You can always take anything to God in prayer, and how wonderful it is. Again, let me give another homely illustration, because this is an important subject. There was an engineer at the time they were building the Panama Canal, and they had two or three failures, you'll recall. But when the successful project began, they wanted to go right through with it, and so there were no vacations. And to compensate for it, they were sent down to that area to the men working on it, their family. One young engineer, his wife and little boy, was sent down because of the danger of malaria. They were put out on a houseboat. And every afternoon, you could see that young engineer with those big, long blueprints of the Panama Canal rowing himself out the houseboat. One night there, he had those blueprints all spread out. And his little boy was playing at his feet. And he was playing with a wagon. And this engineer, he was busy. But the little boy began to cry. The wheel came off the wagon. And the little fellow worked with it there. He tried his best to put it back, but that was a pretty big project for that little fellow. He couldn't get it back, so he did what little boys do when they can't get wheels on wagons. He began to cry. Now, you would think that dad would shush him right out of the room, would tell the mother, come get this little fellow because he's disturbing me. But he was a good father. So the thing he did was he just laid aside the blueprints and he reached down, picked the little fella up, and asked him, what's the matter? The little fella held up a wagon in one hand, a wheel in another. And that was big stuff for that little fella. It was major. The father took the wheel, put it on the wagon with just one little turn of the wrist. That's all it took. And he kissed away the little fella's tears, patted him, put him down on the floor, and the little fella went playing again. He's a good father. Now, you know who made that father? God put that instinct down deep in the human heart of every man. He's got a little boy, got a little girl. <laughs> he's going to stop whatever he's doing. Why? Because we got a heavenly father like that. When the wheel comes off down here, we can go to him. And it may look pretty big to us. It's not really big to him. And he'll hear and he'll answer. And he may say no. Now, my experience has been he said no to me more often than he's ever said yes. And I lost my human father when I was 14, went several years before I ever turned to God. And when I did, I found out I had a heavenly father. And I found out that going to him, that he says no also. He answers. And let me just give you one instance, and I hope I'm not misunderstood on this. I had a call to a city in the Middle West. And I don't think I ought to give the name of the city because we broadcast there right now. But it's a city that is a great commercial center, very important city. And I went there to try out for a church. And they met and wanted to call me. And I wouldn't give them an answer at the time, but told them that if 
they gave a formal call, I'd give an answer. And very frankly, it would have been yes, because it was a strategic church. But the powers that be in the denomination did not want me there, because it was a church that was located on a boundary near the Mason-Dixon line, and they were still flirting the northern church and the southern church back and forth with each other to get a union. And they felt like these churches right on the border were the critical churches, and they needed a politician in those churches, and not really a preacher, just a church politician. Well, I'm no church politician, not any kind for that matter. And so the powers that be got busy and saw to it I did not get that call. They would not permit the church to call me. Well, I went to God in prayer on that, and I cried to him. I told him how he'd let me down, how he'd failed me at this moment, and my, he'd caused me to miss the greatest opportunity that I thought I ever had. Oh, I tell you, I blamed him, and I found fault with him, and I actually scolded him because he just didn't seem to know what was the best for me. Friends, years have gone by now. I'm almost afraid to tell you how many years have gone by. I would say that more than 35 years have gone by. And I look back now, and my wife and I came through that city, spent the night in a motel. Oh, it was August. Oh, is it hot there? And the air conditioning, the old motor looked like it was going off at any moment. We got up about 4.35 in the morning. We started out. And I said to her on the way out of that city, I said, don't you thank God that he wouldn't let us come here years ago? I can look back now and see that that would have been the tragedy of my ministry. My friend, my heavenly father, he answered. And the thing is, I'm ashamed of it. I didn't thank him at the time. I blamed him for not giving me the right answer. He said no, and he shut that door so tight. May I say to you that the resounding boom was in my ears for several years after that. But now I know that my Heavenly Father, who knew the future, he said no. So the next time that you say you have an unanswered prayer, why don't you say, my Heavenly Father, he heard my prayer, but he told me no, that I must have been wrong. May I say to you, our Heavenly Father hears and answers prayer. So let your requests be made known unto God. How? With thanksgiving. Now notice, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now the peace of God which passeth all understanding. What kind of peace is that? Well, the Bible mentions several different kinds. There's world peace that the world is after right now. We've spent billions of dollars to try to get it. And the world will never have it till the Prince of Peace comes. He's the only one that can bring peace to this earth. Then there is the peace that Paul talked about in the fifth of Romans when he said, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, that's the peace that comes of a soul with a guilt complex that things are right between you and God and your sins have been forgiven. An outstanding professor of psychology here in Southern California, who's a wonderful Christian, told me this. He says, the only way you can get rid of a guilt complex is at the cross of Christ. He says, that's where they're taken away. And that's the peace you can know, that your sins have been forgiven. 
And then there is that peace that's known as tranquility. The Lord Jesus says, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Now, it's the peace that he talked about when he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and I have a laden, I'll rest you. That's the rest of redemption. Then he said, Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, and you shall find rest in your souls. Now, that's the rest of being in the will of God, being totally committed to God. That's a third kind of peace. Now, what kind of peace is this, then, that we have here? Well, he calls it the peace of God which passeth all understanding. So I understand those other three kinds of peace. And this is a kind of peace I don't understand. If I could tell you what it is, it wouldn't be this kind of peace because it passeth all understanding. I think this is a peace that sweeps over your soul at times. I think it's an experience that maybe you looked at a sunset. Maybe you got a view. I stood on the big island of Hawaii, and I looked out at a sunset. That great Mauna Kea, that mountain there that has snow on top of it out there in the tropics. And I looked at the majesty of that sunset and that mountain. And, you know, what a peace. I can't tell you what it was. It passeth understanding. And the peace that came when my heavenly father let me have cancer. and I went to the hospital. And I was frightened to death. And then that night I committed it all to him. And I told him I wanted reality. And he made it real. That's a peace that came that passeth all understanding. I don't know how to tell you what it is, but it's quite real, friends. Now, will you notice it's a peace that passeth all understanding? It'll keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Will you notice something here that's important? There are those today that say prayer changes things. I had a motto. I don't have it now in my study. I have no objection to it. I think it's a good one. Prayer changes things. Well, does prayer change things? I think so. But that's not the primary purpose of prayer. Notice here, we entered this passage in worry. We come out in peace. What's been changed? Have things been changed? No, nothing's been changed. Storm is still raging. Waves are still rolling high. The thunder is still resounding. And the storm has not abated. But something has happened to the individual. We enter with worry. We come out in peace. What's really happened? I'll tell you what's happened. Something's happened to the human soul, to the human mind. Prayer, my friend, does not primarily change things. It changes us. It changes us. The individual was changed here. That is the secret of power today. Prayer. May God richly bless you, my beloved. Dr. McGee has more to share on the secret to effective prayer in just a minute, so stay with us. But first, if you know someone who would benefit from today's message, or if you'd like to listen again, visit ttb.org for all your listening options, from apps to podcasts, our Bible bus, flash drive, and more. We try to make this teaching available in a format that works for you. So again, visit ttb.org to check them all out. And while you're there, I'd also suggest you download Dr. McGee's free digital booklet, How to Have Peace in Anxious Times. 
taken from today's passage in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Dr. McGee explains more about the peace that we can find when we talk with God. TTB.org is also the place to download our Bible companion for Philippians. It's really a perfect partner to our study and includes prompts to follow Dr. McGee's teaching, as well as links to the Bible passages so that you can read and listen when you want to. It really is such a great resource, so don't wait. Download your copy. It's free at TTB.org today. And if you have questions about this fruitful ministry or you'd like to be in touch, call us. 1-800-65-BIBLE-IS-THE-NUMBER. Again, it's 1-800-65-BIBLE. Or email BibleBus at TTB.org or write to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Now here are a few final thoughts on prayer from Dr. McGee. I would like to see the real meaning of prayer by going back and looking at what the Lord Jesus Christ himself had to say about prayer. And you find in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, when his disciples, you remember, they came to him, and they wanted to know how to pray. And the Lord Jesus gave them that sample prayer there that is so important, And he began it with, Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, he gives here a parable relative to that. And he says, you will recall, when a hungry boy goes to his father and says, I'm hungry, give me a piece of bread, give me a fish. Why, he doesn't give him a stone. He doesn't give him a serpent. And so if you feel like, as we've looked at this passage of Scripture, that God has sort of let you down, he didn't answer your prayer, don't blame God. Why not look at your own life, and this may be your experience, for it's been the experience of a great many folk. And that is, are you really a child of God? You see, it's the boy who went to a father. Now, if God's not your father, don't expect him to answer your prayer. He says, very frankly, he doesn't hear the prayer of the ungodly. Now, when he says that, it doesn't mean that he can't, because I think many of us had never got saved if he didn't hear that prayer of asking God to save us. God, be merciful to me and save me. And many of us have prayed that prayer in the past. And God did hear, and God answered the prayer, and God saved us. Now, when that took place, we were born again. Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, of the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. Now, have you really been born of the water and of the Spirit? The water is the word of God. Have you been really born again? To as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God even to those that don't do any more than believe in his name, so that you have a relationship in prayer, and that relationship is a father to a child. Then he gave a parable, the Lord Jesus, about persistence in prayer, about a man that went to bed at night. All of his children were asleep, and the neighbor came next door and just about knocked the door down. He said, I've got a relative that's come to see me. 
My mother-in-law's come from Iowa, and what in the world am I going to do? I've got to feed this crowd. So what shall I do? Let me have some bread. And the man says, go away. My children are asleep. The man says, I'm not going away. And he almost knocked the door down. Now, the Lord Jesus says, knock, and it shall be open to you. Now, that word knock doesn't mean knock the door down. You see, a great many people think that if there's persistence in prayer, you see. And then he told about that widow woman. You remember that she went to this unjust judge. He wouldn't hear her, but she parked in his waiting room. In fact, she brought her lunch, and she stayed there for the day. And finally, he just said, I'll have to see her. Now, do you think God's like that? That's a parable of a contrast. God's not an unkind judge. God's good. And God wants to hear and answer your prayer. Oh, my friend, today, what a glorious avenue is open unto you. And as you leave the bus today, remember, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Bring God into your everyday life today. For many of you going to work, take him with you. Make him your partner. grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.